You may recall we are in a new series looking at living in the story, living in God's story. Don really helpfully kicked off last week, but today we are in the next part of this. And we're looking at it for at least a year, going through the journey of scripture, the different stories within the Bible, the different journeys of the characters, and recognizing it's still open-ended. We're still part of this story. We are still having a part to play. And there's very much life lessons and teaching and implications for us here today. So we recognize that we are living in God's story. For those of us who call ourselves Christians, we want to understand the bigger story, the bigger meta-narrative, and work out what our part to play is. So we're looking at it for at least the next year, if not beyond that. So you need to not miss a Sunday until 2027. So that's kind of the... But I guess what I was reflecting on myself as I was looking at today's passage is that the richness of Scripture and the depth of Scripture is just so exciting, so engaging, just so appropriate for us at this time in history. And I'm aware that the passage we're going to look at is complex to a certain extent. It's not an easy read in some respects in terms of just obvious application. But as we go into opening God's word, we can expect God's living word to speak to us, to be alive and ready to speak to us as individuals and as a church family. And I'd encourage you on your own to be looking at the scriptures, to be looking at the teachings. We've got some resources, I think, are in Central Weekly and also in your communities to be wrestling with this beyond Sundays. So we're going to look at Genesis 15. It's quite a lengthy passage, Genesis 15, and we're going to jump straight in. I think it'll be on the screen. I'll also read it, and of course, you're welcome to open a Bible if you have one. Genesis 15. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless and one who will inherit my estate is Eliza of Damascus? And Abram said, You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him, this man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He took him outside and said, look up at the stars and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Abraham believed the Lord and he was credited to it to him in righteousness. He also said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of of the Chaldeans to give you this land to take possession of it. But Abraham said, Sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of it? So the Lord said to him, Bring me a heifer, a goat and a ram, each three years old along with a dove and a young pigeon. Abraham brought all these to him, cut them in two, and arranged the halves opposite each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half. Then birds of prey came down the carcasses, but Abraham drove them away. As the sun was setting, Abraham fell into a deep sleep, and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. Then the Lord said to him, Know for certain that for 400 years your descendants will be strangers in a country, not their own, and they will be enslaved and mistreated there. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, and afterward they will come out with great possessions. You, however, will go to your ancestors in peace and be buried at good old age. In the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here for the sin of the Amorites and not yet reached its full measure. When the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking firepot with a blazing torch appeared and passed through the pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham and said, To your descendants I give this land, from Rwada of Egypt to the great river of the Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, Kenizzites, Cadmonites, Hittites, Perizzites, Raphites, Amorites, Canaanites, Girgashites, bit of a naughty one, and the Jebusites. 
Sorry, I couldn't resist. Um, But I'm just going to pray as we kind of unpack what I think God wants to say to us this morning. Yeah, Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for our story. We thank you for your story. And I pray now that you would speak to us powerfully, that you would speak to us in a fresh and anointed way as individuals and also as a church family. As we often pray for those of us who need strengthening and encouragement, I pray they would find that this morning. But for those of us who need provocation and challenge, I pray we would receive that too. Holy Spirit, would you speak to our hearts and minds, we ask. Amen. So what I want to say from the outset is we see so much of God's character in this passage. I want to look at an element of his character in greater depth in a moment. We just see very clearly that Abraham had just got back from battle. That's a story for another day, but he just led his people into battle. They'd won the battle and he was battle weary. He was depleted. He was tired. And in this passage, he's reassured that God is his shield and his great reward. And just as an aside, it's important we recognize that we come to God who's our shield, our protection. He cares for us. He wants to protect us. He wants to love us and care for us and nurture us. So much of God's character is evident in this passage. He's our protection. And this would have been particularly reassuring to Abraham on the back of this battle. But he's also the provision. And we see that Abraham in the previous passage had decided not to take the reward, the loot that he would have got from winning the battle. He decided not to take that, but to trust God's provision. Abraham even means fully dependent on God. Sorry, Abraham means fully dependent on God. It comes to Abraham, which means father of the multitudes. But at this stage, it's fully dependent on God. And that word is where we get the word amen from. I agree. I trust in you. I trust in you. It actually comes from a word for suckling, like a baby suckling from its parent, dependent on God. At the outset of this passage, we see that God is our protection and our provision. But what I want to speak into largely this morning is the fact he's our promise giver. I want to major on the fact he's our promise giver. Don helpfully last week looked at calling And as we are called to be God's people, we are called to step into this city, to serve this nation, to be disciples who are called and have a purpose and a plan here on earth until we meet Jesus once and for all. But now I want to look at covenant. And as we look at covenant, it's not a term we use massively in society, but we understand there's expectations, there's implications, there's a relational aspect It's contractual, there's an understanding that it's before one another and it's also before God. And marriage is our obvious example where we come together and have this covenant between us but also before God. There's expectations, there's vows, there's implications if it breaks down. That's what we're looking at today, this covenant. And in this time, as we look at this covenant with Abraham, we realize it's for life. It's serious. Till death us do part. They would often even give a coat or similar to say, I'm fully in, I'm fully committed. I'll give you a great possession of mine to say that I'm completely embedded in this covenant. I'm completely committed to this covenant. So as we think about Abraham's covenant with God and our subsequent covenant with God, which we can learn from within this passage, we start to ask, well, what is expected from us? What can we expect from God? What does this covenant entail? And like any covenant, I want to suggest that it depends on the dependability 
and trustworthiness and the character of the person we're making a covenant with. So let me ask us, you don't need to answer out loud, but who do you trust and why? Who do you trust and why? And my guess is that you're thinking of an individual or individuals who have character which is trustworthy, they're dependable, they're reliable personalities. And they've also got a track record of dependability, track record of being good for their promise. And in this vision that we see in Genesis, and it's a vision which is important because a story is describing facts, describing what happened. A vision is to describe a key teaching point. So it's not literal, but it's help us understand a key teaching point. What the writer of Genesis is trying to help us understand is that God is good for his side of the covenant. God is fully trustworthy. He's fully dependable. He's fully committed to the covenant. His character, his track record, his righteousness, his trustworthiness, his holiness is fully dependable. Even how Abraham responds, sovereign Lord, he suggests that he's sovereign, he's good, he's dependable, he's fully reliable. And we can too easily project our own understanding of breakdown of relationships or broken covenants onto God but he wants us in this passage to release that he is fully dependable fully reliable he is good for his side of a covenant he is committed to us and in this passage the God promises the land and the air to Abraham he said shows him the stars and says this will be your descendants you'll have a son you'll have a birth son but you'll also have many descendants you'll have a multitude And he promises the land. He promises that he will have an inheritance of land. And then what we see in this passage and also in Genesis 17 is that Abraham starts to ask questions. How can I have an heir? How can I have these lands? How can this be? And this is significant because at this time, the writer of Genesis is writing to God's people in the Babylonian exile, probably about 6th century B.C., And they're struggling because they're getting persecuted, they're facing opposition and pain and struggle, they're struggling to hold on to their faith. And he's saying, look, trust me, trust God. God is good for his promises. He's trying to help the readers of the Genesis, the people of God, understand that Abraham has questions and the people of God have questions, but trying to help them understand that God is good for his promises. But in this passage, we see that Abraham has no land and no heir. And in this society, that was... A concern that was embarrassing, that was shame. No heir and no estate. It looked bleak. Eliezer of Damascus was this adopted son that he would have to pass on his inheritance to. The understanding was if he had a birth son, that that would be bypassed and he would go to his birth son. But in this situation, he has had to have an adopted son saying, This will take care of my estate, this will take care of my inheritance. He's struggling to come to terms. This man at times who is wealthy is struggling to come to terms. He's got no land and no heir. And he doubts and he asks questions and he wrestles. In Genesis 17, we see that him and Sarah say, how at our age, at the age of 99, at our age and stage, how on earth can we have a child? He's doubting, he's wrestling, he's struggling with God. Put your hand up if you ever doubted or wrestled with God. The rest of you are lying, okay? It's all part of a journey. You see, in this passage... Abraham doubted and we too can easily doubt. We can ask questions. Perhaps like Abraham, is it humanly impossible? How can this work out? It's humanly impossible. Perhaps Abraham, there's a big gap between the promise and the fulfillment. Well, this can't be. It's, too, it's just too waiting too long. 
or we compare to earthly promises. If I believe my child every time he says he promises to behave better, he promises not to eat the sweeties out of the sweetie tin even though I've told him not to, or politicians claiming X, Y, and Z and they're not delivering, we can base our promises of God on the promises we see around us. Perhaps even in a commitment like culture, we can worry that because as a society, perhaps we're increasingly less committed to agreements and committed to one another in the same way perhaps we were many years ago, we hold that towards God. We ask questions. We can start to doubt. We can start to wrestle with things. Abraham is doubting God. He's wrestling with God. We too struggle at times and wrestle and have questions around our faith. Yet he's also in this passage celebrated with credited with his faith. He's also in the Hebrews 11 hall of faith for his faith. He's also in Romans 4 celebrated for his righteousness and his faith. So which is it? Is it that he's doubting and he's wrestling with God or he's a man of faith? I want to suggest this morning it's both. It's both. He's wrestling with God. He's struggling with God, but he's turning to God. He's running to God. His faith is evident in his questioning. His faith is evident as he comes to God. His faith is evident as he's trying to work things out. He's coming to God with his questions, with his doubts, with his struggles, but he's running to him. Don't feel guilty if you have questions. Don't feel guilty if it doesn't quite work out. As we go through this large story of scripture, if you're not making complete sense of it all, that's okay. It's part of the journey. Perhaps it's even good and healthy for us to come to God with our questions. And let's also be okay with others in our communities and our lives who are asking questions, who are perhaps wrestling with stuff. But let's run to Jesus. Let's not run away. We have a choice to step towards Jesus, a choice to step to him, or a choice to run away. Let's choose to run towards him. Mother Teresa is renowned and often celebrated for her faith and her life and her Christian walk. But in her last few years, she is said to have had real doubt and struggles around her faith. She says that although she was a Christian, she hadn't felt God for about 10 years. She felt he was absent. She felt that he was, she was far from him. This woman we hold up and celebrate in so many ways, yet in her last few years, seemed to feel God was distant, to feel God was far away. Jesus went to the cross with doubts and asking God, do I have to do, go through this? Do I have to step towards the cross? Do I have to be run through this? But fully trusting the Father, not my will, but yours. He trusted God above his feelings and his emotions. Trusted God above his understanding of situations. I know me, I know that I'll let me down. I know me, I know that I'll get it wrong. And if we understand scripture, if we believe in God, we realize that his ways are higher than ours. He may do things differently. Dare I say, he may even do things better than we expect. But we trust him above our thoughts and our emotions. We trust him when we're doubting and struggling. We trust him when things don't make human sense. It's okay to wrestle. It's okay to come to him with our concerns, with our hurts, with our pains, with our questions, with our struggles. In the 19th century... There was a man called Blondin. He was a famous tightrope walker. This is a genuinely true story. I have mentioned it before, but it always blows me away. And he used to walk across tightropes, and there's one situation where he stopped and he cooked an egg on the tightrope. Don't know why, but he did. He used to go along and juggle. He used to walk on stilts. To be honest, there's nothing that I can do myself, but I just wanted to focus on ministry. So he would do always remarkable things. 
And there's one story where he walked across the Niagara Falls with this wheelbarrow. And he walks across the Niagara Falls with this wheelbarrow. And he has this huge crowd. And he says to them, who believes I could carry someone in this wheelbarrow? The crowd roar, yes, of course you can. Yes, we know you can. Of course you are able, Blondin. You're amazing at tightrope walking. Who's willing to get in the wheelbarrow? Deathly silence. Somehow we get in that wheelbarrow, that metaphorical wheelbarrow, even though we're doubting, even though we're questioning things around us. We take that step of faith. Part of the journey of growing in our faith is walking out and stepping out, even with our struggles and our doubts. Abraham was recognized and valued for his faith, but he had his doubts, he had his questions. He didn't see the promises fulfilled always as quickly in the way he was wanting them to happen. But we run to Jesus. You see, we can trust God. We can trust he's full of but reliable. We can trust that he's fully committed to us when we doubt, when we question, when we get it wrong. Because in this passage, we see very clearly how committed Jesus is to us, how committed God is to us. In this passage, we see that the animals are cut and laid aside. In this vision, the animals are laid for the walk between. And the reason this is important is because at this time, the covenant was required one of the parties to walk through and to say, if I break my part of the promise, you can kill me, you can push me aside, I can be the shame of society, you can... Do whatever you want with me. Push me aside. Brush me aside. I'll be no more in the eyes of society. And then what would happen is they would walk through and say, that's how committed I am to this party, this agreement. I'm willing to lay down my life. I'm willing to give everything for this commitment. I'm willing to be cast off from society for the sake of this covenant. As an aside, I did wonder about doing that for all in membership, just to see how committed we really were to each other. So if we had some like, dead animals to walk through, but that's, yeah, that bombed. Anyway, okay. But then what would happen is if it was an esteemed member of society or a king, the perceived lower class member would walk through. And what would happen is if they would say that even if the king let his side of the covenant down, it was still the slave who would take the covenant. It was still a slave that would be killed. It was still a slave that would be uh, sanctioned because of what happened. It doesn't seem particularly fair, but that's what would happen. But in this passage, we see the, smart, the smoking fire pot and the torch go through. God's presence amidst the darkness goes through, walks through. The King Jesus one day would walk through. This is prophetically looking forward to him. The curse, the pain, the separation would be laid on him. That's how committed God, that's how committed Jesus is to us. In the line of Abraham, in the line of his son Isaac, in the line of the descendants would come Jesus and he would walk through on our behalf. Lay down his life. Take the sin of the world, the separation and the hurt, the ostracization on his shoulders. Prophetically looking forward to one day Jesus coming to earth and saying, I'm so committed to my people that I'll give the shame, the hurt, my life so that they can have eternal life, so that they can walk with me. Regardless of how broken they are or messed up they are or how hurting they are or whether they're wrestling or doubting, I'm committed to them. We can obviously look back and see that Jesus came to earth. He lived, he died and rose again and that covenant is very much available to us this morning. The covenant is secure and safe because of what Jesus has done, what's already happened. 
Alistair Begg talks about the fact that when we come to our faith, he's a well-known church leader in America from Scotland. And he talks about when we come to God, it always needs to be in third person first. It can't be, well, I believe or I acknowledge this or I want to follow this. Of course, that's all good. But first and foremost, it's because of what he's done because of who he is, because of how he's laid down his life for us, because of all he's given for each and every one of us. Yes, I'm called to respond, but first, it's about him. First, it's about his gift, his grace, his goodness. The answer is always Jesus. This covenant is built on who he is, what he's done for us, that he gave his life for us. It's fully reliable. It's fully dependable. He doesn't give up on us. The promise is complete and fulfilled because of who he is. How amazing is that? That me and all my doubts and struggles and hurts and pains, he laid down his life for me. He's fully committed to me. For you, he came and gave everything for that relationship. In Genesis 17, we see this eternal covenant with Abraham and his descendants comes through Jesus. It's there for us. It's passed on to us. Yes, we need to respond to his invitation. Yes, we need to come and say, thank you, Jesus, and respond. But it's all because of his grace. It's not faith and works. It's all faith in him. It's nothing we do. It's all about what's being done. It's all about Jesus. It's a complete gift. And how freeing is that in a world that can so easily put expectations and pressures on us, where we feel like we're not keeping up with people, where we feel like the strains of life are just too much, the stresses and burdens are just too overwhelming, and culture is getting faster and faster and faster and faster. We're called to just sit at the feet of Jesus, to live in his grace. When we have a weight on of the world on our shoulders, when we take burdens and expectations, when we try and carry things that aren't asked to carry we feel burdened but his grace is sufficient his grace is enough everything is a gift we're not defined by our grades our social media influence our latest house renovation we're defined by his grace and his goodness laid down for us he invites us today to a new relationship with him to renew that covenant we're going to take communion in a moment but Just once again, maybe even for the first time, to come to him and say, thank you for your grace. We started by asking who we can trust and why. We can trust Jesus because he's fully reliable. He's got a track record of being faithful. He delivered on his promises. He came to earth. He he gave Abraham a son. He protects, he provides, but he's also our promise keeper. He fulfilled his promise to Abraham. He provided him his son Isaac and gave him the multitude. And then from that line came Jesus. He delivered. His character is trustworthy. When he promises to us, he always meets his half of the deal. He's given everything for you and I to have a relationship with him. And this is the start of how we walk out and step out for Jesus. We want to love this city. We want to share the hope we have in him. But it always starts by being reminded of his grace and his goodness about what he's done for us. Being overwhelmed by the love and grace of Jesus. It starts by coming to him afresh. Jesus' character and his half of covenant are fully dependable. He is a God who's fully committed to us. With our questions, with our doubts, with our mistakes, with our struggles, with our pain. He's fully committed to us. In a moment, we are going to share communion, and there's really no better way to respond this morning because 
we come to the table of communion, perhaps even for the first time this morning, and recognize that the bread is God's body broken for us. The blood is his, the, the wine is the blood shed for us, giving us everything as sacrifice for us so that we can have eternal life with him. We're reminded of his commitment to us, that he takes our pain, our struggles, our sin on his shoulders. We're reminded that he gave his life for us. And our response is simply to eat the bread and drink the wine and say, I'm in. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you so much. Thank you for your grace, for your goodness. I want to follow you. I want to recommit my life to you. I'm going to read from 1 Corinthians 11. It's a familiar passage to many of us. The Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This is the cup, my new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. So often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So the band are going to come back up and we're going to, respond in communion in the next few songs and there'll be stations at the back and one upstairs I believe and the bread will be gluten free options and the wine will be Ribena so don't worry about that but why don't we stand if we're able and I'd love to pray for us Father I pray for my brothers and sisters for anyone who this morning is really wrestling and really doubting really struggling to find you I pray that they would know your peace and your presence that they would run to you, they would know your arms around them. That they may not have all the answers, but they will know your closeness and your goodness and your presence. And I pray for us as we come to a table of communion, I pray that we wouldn't just go through emotions or be blasé around it or just do it because it's the right thing to do. I pray that once again, or perhaps for the first time, we would be overwhelmed by your goodness, overwhelmed by the grace, overwhelmed by the gift of your life for each and every one of us. Holy Spirit, would you come and minister amongst us, we ask. Amen.